You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Right now, in Alberta, candidates are competing to be the next leader of the United Conservative Party. There is no doubt at all that it is a conservative party. But if you listen to the people running to be leader and to the person who is actually still atop the party and atop the provincial government, you might come away wondering about the word united. All the Sovereignty Act does is assert our areas of jurisdiction. We want to be treated just like Quebec. I can tell you that those investors, the Alberta Sovereignty Act would be like kryptonite for them. They're interested in political stability, not political chaos. Danielle Smith has plans to introduce a Sovereignty Act that, well, we'll try to explain exactly what it would do and whether or not it would ever pass. Brian Jean has similar, if not as directly constitution-challenging, plans to fight the federal government on all the stuff that Alberta doesn't like about Trudeau and the Liberals, which is a lot of things. And then there is Jason Kenney, still Premier of Alberta, hoping that one of his more loyal cabinet members can somehow carry the day. So just where is the UCP headed? What does the Sovereignty Act do and would it pass? How does all this infighting and jockeying for position set the UCP up for the next election against Rachel Notley and the NDP? And what do Alberta voters actually care about and want from their next UCP leader? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Jason Ribeiro is a political commentator and a doctoral researcher at the University of Calgary. Hello, Jason. Hello, thanks for having me on. You're very welcome. I'm hoping we can maybe start with some level setting for uh, those listeners outside of Alberta. Can you explain the UCP leadership race? I think the last time this show covered Alberta politics, Jason Kenney was stepping down. Now, who is running to replace him? Yes, as you've noted, Jason Kenney uh, stepped down as leader of the United Conservative Party here in Alberta uh, in May after getting 51% uh, of the vote from members. This was technically a number that would have allowed him to stay on, but practically uh, would not have allowed him to, to govern effectively. And so very quickly, you saw seven candidates put their name forward and meet the minimum criteria to run. And so in, in, in quick order, you have uh, Leela Ahir, who was the former Minister of Multiculturalism and Status of Women. She was kicked out of, of caucus for being critical of Jason Kenney and some members of his cabinet for uh, dining out at the Sky Palace, which is a uh, a part of the Alberta legislature that has been, you know, very storied in uh, Alberta politics for representing elitism. It's a it's a private gathering area that former Premier Allison Redford had built. Uh, it's it's kind of been avoided at all costs. Jason Kenney has been working out of there. Uh, a photo emerged as all of us were sort of sheltering in place and, and adhering to guidelines that they were not. She critiqued them and uh, was thrown out of caucus uh, or thrown out of the ministry, I should say and is now running. The second is Todd Lowen, another person who has been kicked out of the UCP caucus. He was the UCP caucus chair for two years, but once he began being critical about vaccines and the public health measures, he was removed uh, from caucus and sat as an independent. 
Uh, Rebecca Schultz is also running. She was the former Minister of Children's Services in 2019, one of the primary negotiators with the federal government uh, on the childcare deal that was signed. But she's you know, quite young, quite green in politics. This is her first go around uh, and quite new to Alberta. Uh, she'd only moved here a couple of years before she actually ended up running after living in Saskatchewan and, and working for Brad Wall as a staffer. We then have Rajan Sauni, uh, a uh, recently elected candidate in 2019 uh, from Calgary's Northeast, former Minister of Community and Social Services and Minister of Transportation. You have Brian Jean, who is a, a name that will be familiar to folks just uh, not just in Alberta, but outside. Um, was one of the founders of the United Conservative Party as, as Wild Rose leader, was a Conservative Party MP for, for nearly uh, a decade and actually ran on directly opposing Jason Kenney in a by-election in Fort McMurray, which he actually won, and Jason Kenney signed his papers for. Uh, so some interesting dynamics there. The last two are Danielle Smith, um, you know, a, a radio commentator who has a storied history in politics. Uh, she was elected as a CBE trustee, Calgary Board of Education, um, uh, leader of the Wild Rose in 2012, was set to be premier, and then some scandals uh, really ended up uh, doing her in there. She ended up crossing the floor to join the Progressive Conservatives in 2014 and ended up losing her nomination. So this is a bit of a comeback for her, a comeback attempt. And then finally, you have Travis Taves, who is the most sort of private sectory, if I can make that of a word, candidate uh, who ran in 2019, became the Minister of Finance, been very close to Jason Kenney, I would argue is is one of the more traditional uh, molds of a progressive conservative uh, representing Grand Prairie, and he is also running for the leadership race. So you see a bit of, you know, a, a group of misfits of folks who have grudges, past histories, and then some newcomers who are attempting to cement what their ma name may mean in Alberta politics in the future. I want to get to the top contenders in a minute because that's where this discussion is going to focus. But first, you know, given what you've described about all those contenders, how united is the United Conservative Party right now? Yeah, it's the running joke here, right? Is um, how united are they? Uh, I, I would say they're, you know, and, and this is not just for the United Conservative Party, but I would argue for conservative parties um, across Canada, they're most united when they have a co common opponent, when they have a common enemy. And you would think that during the pandemic, and we saw this play out all over the world, did we make the virus and protecting people's public health the, the battle that we wanted to fight? Or we, were we going to fight ourselves over things like public health measures, you know, viewpoints on vaccinations, et cetera? And the UCP took the, the, the latter. Um, they began infighting. There were some rural and urban divides. Um, and so I, I think there are some scars that need to be healed. But as we get closer to naming a new leader in October, as we get closer to, you know, there's a scheduled general election in May of next year, but there could also be a snap. As it becomes clear who is going to be facing Rachel Notley and the NDP, I wouldn't underestimate how quickly conservatives can coalesce and become united again, because it doesn't matter how united they are on the issues. They're united in their opposition against Rachel Notley and the NDP and what they represent. In terms of the state of this leadership race, as you mentioned, we're getting closer to picking a new leader who are the top candidates and what should we really be discussing? I have to say from, again, from a viewpoint outside of the province and not into the details on this, it seems to an outsider like it's basically a race between Brian Jean and Danielle Smith. Yeah, I, I, I would say that for all of the, the media coverage that has filtered across the country, um, 
that could be true, but it's also, I think, indicative of name recognition, right? Uh, D- Daniel Smith is a former provincial leader. Uh, Brian Jean is a formal federal uh, uh, MP and, and provincial party leader as well. I would throw Travis Taves in there. Again, the minister of finance, uh, very close to Jason Kenney. Um, but but it, there's two things I want to parse out. One is that all the polling that I've seen has been very spotty. Uh, and I would invite folks to ignore the polling because they're polling you know, who they believe to be UCP supporters versus UCP members. Only recently have we gotten some indication of where members, uh, you know, temperature is on the candidates. And you're right, you know, it's Daniel Smith, it's Brian Jean and Travis Taves. The, The other caveat I would mention is that both Smith and Travis Taves have recently released that they've raised a million dollars, which in over four to five months is quite impressive. Brian Jean has not announced what he's raised, but but the the top line here is yes, this kind of populist conservative um, uh, rhetoric is is filtering through the race, and I think is is raising eyebrows across the province uh, and across the country, given the the polarization around the proposals that they're putting forward. Well, let's start uh, going through the top contenders then, and let's begin with Danielle Smith. And mostly I say that because myself and uh, a number of listeners who have emailed us over the past little while want to know more about her proposed Sovereignty Act. Can you just first maybe explain what is it? Yeah, so there's there's a lot of debate uh, going around around what this actually is. But, you know, according to the overview that they've released and, and analysis that, that has been done, basically what this act would do was a, is affirm the authority of the Alberta legislature to refuse provincial enforcement of specific federal laws or policies that they believe in the legislature violate the jurisdictional rights of Albertans under the Constitution of Canada or the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And, you know, basically what that amounts to is, you know, the federal government institutes a law or policy. Basically, Danielle Smith and uh, and her caucus members decide that this is not, this violates Alberta's jurisdiction. And so what they're going to do is then introduce a special motion where all MLAs would be entitled to a free vote. And basically, they would have an opportunity to vote on whether they would ignore federal law or federal policy. It gets quite wonky after that. There's you know all sort of walkbacks and drawbacks and reviews, etc. But but this you know for for all of the the lawyer friends that we have, I'm sure, is is raising a ton of eyebrows because they think on on its face, this is of dubious constitutionality and that. The, the idea that the legislature could supplant the role of the courts and that this would, you know, lead to better outcomes for Alberta or for Canada or not lead to a constitutional crisis is is pretty much laughable on its face. So let's say she wins then. Uh, first of all, would the UCP really pass this thing? And second, would the federal government even recognize it? I mean, we recently did an episode on, you know, the new face of Quebec sovereignty. I don't see how this is that much different. You're right. And, and you know, both provinces have a history of, of brushing up against the Constitution and how they're recognized within, within the Federation. Uh, in, in terms of, you know, when the UCP would actually try to pass this if they even attempted to, I think timing matters, right? So say Danielle Smith wins on October 6th. Is she going to, you know, as premier, try and implement this right away? Does she have the the nominees that she will need or the makeup of the legislature to, to even think that this would pass? Or and, and then, you know, if that attempt goes through, 
uh, or not and fails, are you then going to run a general election on that? So, so there's also the opportunity to say, look, we want to build support for this. We want to take this to Albertans uh, at a later date. Let's get our legs under us. And maybe after a general election, be it a snap or be it the mandated um, uh, date in May, maybe that's after the fact when they bring in this Sovereignty Act. But I would say um, as much as there's been outspoken critique of this Alberta Sovereignty Act, again, I go back to the point about conservatives coalescing when the enemy is common. I absolutely think there are more traditional progressive conservatives who have respect for the courts, who have respect for tradition, uh, who have respect for being a part of this federation, who would soften to supporting Daniel Smith's Sovereignty Act once it becomes apparent that it's her party, that she's the premier, and that they have an upcoming uh, general election against the NDP. So here's where uh, Jason Kenney comes in. Here's where, again, uh, the joke we both made about the United Conservative Party comes in. Jason Kenney has been pretty vocal, as I understand it, about Danielle Smith's plans here. What has he said, and and how usual or unusual is it for uh, the outgoing party leader to uh, intervene this much in a leadership race for his successor? Well, Jason Kenney likes to think of his himself as quite special in some ways. And so I, I, I think that um, he's, he's said a lot of things. He's, he's talked about, I think, in keeping with his role, um, you know, talking about how this would chase investment away, something that he's, you know, directly said he's, you know, he ran on was to, to bring investment to Alberta. And, and, you know, he has been relentless in his pace on that file. And so to have that success or that progress threatened, we can debate about how he's gone about it. But to have that progress threatened, uh, I think, has has sort of caused him to speak up. He's he's even then, you know, veered into the, the incendiary, talking about how this would lead to a banana republic, uh, talking about the competency of those who have put this together and how this is, you know, kind of cloak and dagger way of thinking about separation and trying to distance himself from these voices, because at the end of the day, he is a traditionalist. And so, you know, how unusual is it for a formal le- former leader to get involved in the race? But, what, you know, again, Jason Kenney's pretty special. After he lost his his leadership race or lost the amount that he would think to stay on, he stayed on as premier. That's very different where, you know, in Alberta, where we, we toss out leaders fairly regularly, they usually go off into the distance and a caretaker is usually brought in. Jason Kenney is still the premier. And so I think it's almost forced him to be in a position where he's trying to be the premier talking about XYZ issue. And of course, he's going to get a question from a reporter around, well, what do you think about the Sovereignty Act? And he can't help himself but talk about it. And so this is definitely unusual. It's definitely uncharted territory. We've only had former premiers uh, endorse leadership candidates uh, in the past. I go back to Premier Lougheed, former Premier Lougheed, endorsing Allison Redford, but he had been long gone from office. But as unusual as this is, these are unusual times. And so I think he feels compelled to speak, but he's also put himself in a position where he has to speak. Last question about the Sovereignty Act before we move on to more tangible uh, issues directly affecting Albertans. How do Gene and Tays feel about the act? Would they support it? What would they do instead? Yeah, so they haven't been very compelling I believe in their critiques because, you know, when it concerns Brian Jean, you know, he's forwarding something that's just as outside of the mainstream, you know, called the Autonomy for Albertans Act. And it's this bizarre hodgepodge of, of requests 
to open up the Constitution, not reject the Constitution through the Alberta legislature, but open up constitutional negotiations. And then things like demanding seats that Alberta has a special seat at the G7. Uh, you know, I don't even know how that would work. Would, would Trudeau and Brian Jean walk into the G7 meetings uh, in, in Europe? Uh, you know, that Alberta gets a seat in the World Bank, on OPEC, uh, etc. And then he's also you know, veered into full conspiracy theories where he said, you know, our health services and our municipalities are banned from engaging in any sort of consultation with the World Economic Forum. So as he's, he's lost credibility on talking about how crazy the Sovereignty Act is by then putting forward something that I think is just as, as laughable. Travis Taves hasn't found his footing as the sort of more moderate, traditional, Kenny-like voice. Um, he's been, you know, sort of focused on talking about the investment side, but I don't think he has the the sort of gumption to really talk about the constitutionality um, and and why this would you know reorient Alberta's place within within the federation in, in a real way that would be wholly damaging. And so both of them are on these opposite sides of the spectrums where you have this very soft critique from Travis Taves and Brian Jean, who's critiquing, but also talking about something that's just as as outlandish. I'm glad that we know where they all stand on it. Do we know? what issues actually matter to Albertans most in this election? And can it possibly be that like province versus federal government uh, is top of the list? I'm going to guess not. It's it's interesting. I think, you know, when you come to Alberta, especially because, you know, Alberta is a collection of, of immigrants, we take in, you know, huge amounts of interprovincial migration and, and then uh, migration from from beyond uh, Canada. And so you you immediately get confronted with, you know, the history of the province and the challenges between how we are responsible for our resources and jurisdictional issues and the the, the booms and busts. And so I, I do think that there is a layer of the federal provincial tension that is always sort of present in conversations about Alberta. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, they don't trickle down often enough to the tangible things that Albertans care about. If you think about 2019, the last provincial election, uh, the UCP ran on a tagline of economy, jobs, and pipelines. And despite the phrasing, those were you know pretty much the three top issues at the time. You know, how do we build out of a, a recession that had you know taken our legs out from under us under us in 2014? How are we going to prepare for a workforce uh, not so reliant on on the energy sector, but also expanding investment opportunities that would bring jobs? And then how do you bring in pipelines? What has changed since then? I think some of those things are true. I think we've given up the idea that we can get snap our fingers and get pipelines built overnight. But certainly the economy and how we deal with inflation and cost of living, certainly jobs, because the, the oil patch is not going to produce the, the amount of direct jobs in, in the coming years. And, and clean energy jobs are going to grow. How we manage that transition in an orderly fashion matters. But then things like healthcare. Um, particularly after the COVID-19 pandemic and a whole host of other issues like opioid poisonings, a, a rising age of the average Albertan, you know, social protections for vulnerable uh, folks and, and the environment are all within that top, you know, five, six issues. So, so certainly similar to 2019, but I think the emphasis uh, after COVID-19 is going to be more skewed towards healthcare, social protections and cost of living. So among the top candidates... I'd love to know, and you know, we don't have time for you to break down uh, all their proposals in detail here. Um, but unless I'm wrong, rising oil prices mean that Alberta is once again kind of flush 
with cash? And how do the candidates propose to invest that money, either to combat the cost of living, to reinvest in healthcare, or or anything else? Well, there's a there's a famous uh, you know uh, sticker that uh, or decal that people place on on cars and trucks in Alberta. It's like, please God, give me another oil boom, and I I pray I won't piss it away this time. And I think that. Um, all of the candidates recognize that this is an anomaly. You, you can't bank on, um, you know, a, a, a global health pandemic that, that shuts, you know, most of the economy and supply chain down and then see an invasion of, of UK, uh, Ukraine by, by one of the, the world's largest uh, oil and gas producers. Um, you, you, you can't just prepare for that. And so the surplus is absolutely quite large. You know, very you know, small amounts are attributed to fiscal discipline. The, the rest is really just royalties. And so candidates are, are not proposing to do anything uh, quite outlandish with it. There were some talks about, you know, cutting small checks that uh, Rajan Sani had uh, forwarded in the campaign, but she hasn't talked about it since. So maybe it was more political theater than firm policy. But all of them are kind of in lockstep around some very common sense, practical things, which are, hey, you know, we should invest in our heritage savings trust fund, which has been depleted over a number of years, which will save for the future and allow us to spend uh, on other things that we may need and grow it to be almost like a sovereign wealth fund. Let's pay down some debt um, and our debt servicing costs. Uh, and then let's make some some ch- uh, changes to the tax code. So nothing really controversial, n- no outlandish uh, spending proposals. And, and I think it's also the 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 weight of inflation is also taming their aspirations right now. Now, in a general election next year, if inflation has tamped down uh, and the and the coffers full, could we see them trying to spend that money? Sure, but for right now, it's uh, it's in keeping with I think the economics on the fact that you don't want to fuel anything really inflationary at this moment. As we speak, and you mentioned earlier that you know the uh, fractures in the UCP might sort of magically heal as we get closer to a face-off with Rachel Notley and the NDP. Where does the party stand uh, in the polls against uh, the NDP in a potential election right now? I know when we did some reporting uh, during the pandemic, or at least during uh, when the pandemic was really active. Uh, the NDP had a, a, a solid edge. Is that still true? Is it being eaten away? It is being eaten away. And I, I think it was less about what the, the that lead that you're referring to, that edge, was less about what the NDP was doing at the time, but what the UCP was doing wrong. You know, think right. about that that period of time. Uh, and, and I'm sure the listeners across the country, Alberta was making the news for all the wrong reasons. And yeah. so, you know, the best summer ever, I believe, exactly was the, the joke at the time. Yeah, correct. They, they had hats made. So, um, you know, that's what I attribute that sort of bump for the NDP was just that the, the lack of competence around a thoughtful, you know, sort of middle of the road pandemic plan, you know, the, the, the rhetoric that was being used at the time, um, the, the fact that the, the premier you know, sort of owned all of the communications on COVID as his popularity plummeted, so did the UCPs. What has changed since then? As Alberta has been one of the first jurisdictions to open up, you know, one of the first to put COVID in the, in the rear view, and, and we're going to see how appropriate that strategy is come the, the fall respiratory season coming up. Um, you know, the, the UCP has gotten a bump. They've, they've moved on, and, and I think they've, they've done the things to position themselves well by giving the promise of a new leader. And uh, that has hurt the NDP. And so I would, in all the polling that I've seen, the UCP is tracking ahead. So what does what does that mean for, for an election? You know, this is gonna be won or lost in, in Calgary. Um, and so who makes a more credible case on, on the economy, 
on healthcare, on the environment, because Calgary is a lot more progressive than I think folks think. Um, these ridings are going to be battlegrounds, and there's going to be a lot of seats that need to flip to the NDP. The NDP already has Edmonton. Uh, they're not going to make a play in many of the rural ridings. So really, it will come down to Calgary. And ultimately, where I think that they've made a mistake in 2019, where I think the NDP made a mistake during the pandemic, was to go very aggressively in their critique of Jason Kenney, go very uh, diligent in their critique of the UCP. And the critique almost, you know, uh, just dwarfed them talking to everyday Albertans about their concerns. And so if the NDP lets this UCP leadership race play out as it must, prepare if there's a snap, but focus on the issues that I think they could be seen as more competent on or more trustworthy on, they'll have a better shot of flipping that that narrow advantage that the UCP is currently enjoying. So the general is not till May of 23, unless there's a snap election before then. When is the UCP leadership uh, decision exactly? And what will you be watching for until that happens? So the UCP leadership uh, results will be announced on October 6th. Ballots have already been sent out. Over 50% of the ballots have already been received. And so I don't expect to see a lot from now until October 6th. And if we do, shame on the the campaigns for not releasing it earlier when it would actually have affected votes, right? Um, So right now I expect a very quiet couple of weeks. Uh, People will be making the rounds, candidates will be making the rounds trying to shore up those votes for those those last minute voters. But in, in leadership races like this, especially ones that are happening within parties, I think people know who they're going to vote for. It's the more disengaged voter that waits till the the last 24 hours in a general election and finds out there's an election and asks them the, their neighbor or their their partner, "Who are you going to vote for?" Okay, I'll vote for that person. That's that's not what this is. This is a party faithful who have been mailed ballots, who have invested uh, you know a great deal of energy into the party that are going to be making the case. I don't think that they've been successful expanding the party other than through campaigns themselves, selling memberships to their supporters. So they will be voting for those candidates. So there's not a lot of swing voters to sway at these last hours. I think we're just gonna be having to wait till October 6th to see who the next premier is going to be. Jason, thank you for this. Uh, I feel a lot more educated about Alberta politics than I was going in. Anytime, thank you for having me. Jason Ribeiro of the University of Calgary. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You know this all by now. I'm going to say it anyway. You can follow us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. You can email us anything you want to say by emailing hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can call us and leave a voicemail. Bonus points if you're about to hear the phone number in your head. 416-935-5935. By the way, there are changes to this outro on the way. We heard what you had to say in the listener survey, and we're thinking about what to do about that. You can also find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I will never stop saying that. I will also never stop asking for ratings or reviews. That's the stuff that makes this show climb the charts. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.